This is our 29th episode in the Immunology 101 series, a segment where we teach immunology. Joining me today is my co-host, Tanu. How are you doing? Hi, everyone. I'm doing uh, really good. It's been a long time since you've been on the podcast, hasn't it? It's been, yeah, it's been years, I think. (laughs) But I'm super excited to be uh, back. Perfect, perfect. We're excited to have you. Um, this is our first Immunology 101 series in 2024, so that's really exciting. So, um, in the previous episode, we discussed the mechanisms of cell killing that, uh, CTLs, cytotoxic T lymphocytes utilize and how the NK cells decide whether or not to kill. But I think in the new year, I think we're ready to switch gears. Uh, so if you want to go back and review those episodes, you can go to our website at antibodies.org or listen to us on one of your favorite podcasting platforms. Uh, but with this, let's start today's topic. Uh, but before that, Jatin forced me to add this part. Uh, so <laughs> do you want to hear something funny? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why did the bacterium never make it uh, big as a pathogen? Why? There was a barrier to its entry. (laughs) Oh, you had some guts to make that joke. (laughs) We'll get back to the good joke. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that we've ever had good jokes. (laughs) They've all kind of been bad. (laughs) Okay, so now that we know so much about immune cells individually, what they do, what they are, what they look like, What's next for us? Well, with the immune cell covered, I, I think we're ready to proceed to bigger themes. Bigger themes such as? Yeah, like, well, I'm thinking on the scale of immune system organization, how the different immune cells work together, how they contribute to homeostasis, what they do to shield the body from pathogens, and then how they keep each other in check. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the obvious place to start is the organization of the body's first line of defense. So barrier immunity. And luckily, luckily for us, you have worked with barrier immunity. So this will be great. Hope so. Let's start it. <laughs> All right. So I think we should start our discussion then with a simple question. What is barrier immunity? And if you want to start this off as the expert. Uh, the ba- barrier immunity is the immune system at the body's barrier. So basically the term defines itself, uh, but specifically <laughs> the skin and mucosal tissues have this barrier immunity. The skin has an immune system? Yeah, right. I think all organs have an immune system. When we typically think of skin, we imagine it acting as a physical barrier to entry for pathogens. This is true. The skin is a massive barrier that pathogens have to cross if they want to infect us. However, the part that is often overlooked is that the skin is a massive immunological niche. It harbors its own immune cells population that respond to bacteria, viruses, and trauma. Unfortunately, with those allergies, uh, for those with allergies, this immune response can sometimes inappropriately target inert substances like 
latex, nickel, or oils on the poison ivy plant. Ah, I'm allergic to latex, so I I, I guess uh, that that does make sense. I'm I'm looking at my skin right now, and you would never know that there's so much action going on there. It's so cool. Apart from the skin, there are mucosal barrier surfaces in places that come into contact with the outside world. For example, this includes the lungs, which breathe in external air, and the gastrointestinal tract, which processes all the food we eat. All these surfaces are constantly surveilled by immune cells to ensure the foreign matter does not break the barrier or leave behind anything suspicious. Uh, similar to the skin, however, sometimes in our immune system, in the mucosal barrier can react negatively to other external factors such as food and cause allergic inflammation. Wow, this, this has got to be such an intricate system to protect against bacteria, but also not be constantly reacting to every foreign particle that, that gets onto and around the barrier. I think we need a little bit more detail. <laughs> All right, let's start from the most basic type of protection, the physical barrier that this surface provides. All of our barriers are first covered by at least one layer of epithelial cells. These epithelial cells are held together by tight junctions. As their name suggests, they form an almost leak-proof covering that prevent any foreign particle, most foreign particle or pathogens from getting through. Uh, some of these surfaces also secrete mucus. You all know as a slimy substance from your sinuses, but it is also in other mucosal areas. And its purpose is to prevent microbes from sticking to the barrier surface. If the pathogens can't stick, they can't get in. As simple as that. And in addition to mucus, some mucosal surfaces also have these hair-like projections called cilia that are constantly in motion. Let me guess. These moving cilia also prevent microbes from sticking to the surface. And if they can't stick, they can't get in. Exactly. You took the words right off, off, out of my mind. <laughs> uh, uh, alongside this more preventative measures, mucosa can also directly target microbes by secreting antimicrobial peptides that can inactivate and kill bacteria. Dang, that's so cool. Wait, could we get some of this information put into like a specific context? Yes, of course. Uh, let's take the example of the small intestine. The small intestine contains three parts lengthwise, the duodenum, jejunum, and ileum. These are the major sites of digestion of food and absorption of nutrients. Now, as your food is working its way through your intestines, it's essentially passing through a tube. The empty tunnel the food will go through is called the intestinal lumen. And the intestinal lumen is surrounded by the intestinal wall. The wall has two components, mucosa, which is in contact with the lumen, and submucosa, which is the outermost layer of the tube. The epithelial cells are within the mucosa and form the villi that allow a large surface area for our intestines to absorb nutrients from 
digesting food and survey from microbes. Oh, okay, I see. So the epithelial cells are part of the mucosa layer and the intersection and at the intersection of the foreign things in the gut and the rest of the intestine. Yes. Okay, so let me tell you some cool things that I have read on this as not an expert, but hopefully uh, you will find them just as fascinating as I do. Did you know that these epithelial cells in many different parts of the mucosa also express a ton of pattern recognition receptors? Yes, the PRRs. Those are the receptors that are also expressed by innate immune cells. Does that mean these epithelial cells are also sensing pathogens? Yes, and in that way, they can directly communicate with innate and adaptive immune cells. The epithelial cells can pass along information about what's coming into your gut and how dangerous it is. What does the epithelial cell get out of this? It seems to be on the front lines doing all the dirty work and not getting anything in return. Well, actually, the immune cells help maintain the health of the epithelial cell barrier. When an epithelial cell is damaged, the immune cells will respond to help the barrier back to homeostasis. I guess this is the way it works in the small intestine too? Yeah, it is. So the layer underneath the epithelial cells, but still in the mucosa, is called the lamina propria. So the lamina propria is made of connective tissues and immune cells. And if this anatomy lesson is making you sleepy, here's your cue to wake up. Immune cells. So these famous intestinal immune cells are spread throughout the lamina propria and epithelial cells in the mucosa region, including plasma cells that produce the IgA antibodies against intestinal antigens. So we talked a little bit about that in episodes 24 and 25 when we discussed the different subtypes of antibodies. It's cool that the innate and adaptive cells hang out so close to the epithelial cells. It is. In the intestine, epithelial cells have varying phenotype and function. But overall, given how much of a role the epithelial cells play in gut immune responses, intestinal epithelial cells are now recognized as a part of our innate immune system. Whoa! Well, what kind of varying phenotypes and functions are you talking about? There are several different intestinal epithelial cell types enterocytes, goblet cells, M cells, tannate cells, tuft cells, intraepithelial lymphocytes, and some more. But let me start with enterocytes. Enterocytes are the most common epithelial cells, and these are the cells that express pattern recognition receptors and have the capacity to signal to the immune cells in the lamina propria if they encounter a pathogen. Now let's visit the large intestine for a minute because here we will meet the goblet cells. Along with producing mucus, they also secrete antimicrobial peptides uh, we talked about and uh, as well as some regulatory cytokines. This helps to build a thick and strong barrier. Is there an equivalent to these cells in the small intestine? They seem really important. Yeah, coming back to the small intestine, tannate cells as well as a lesser amount of goblet cells secrete the antimicrobial peptides. Tannate cells also secrete factors to support the stem cells, which in turn develop into these multiple types of intestinal immune cells. 
Now let's meet the transcytosis expert. Microfold cells or M cells. One crucial function of this intestinal epithelial cells is transcytosis, which is the transfer of materials such as antigens and antibodies from intestinal lumen to the lamina propria and vice versa. It is important uh, to maintain homeostasis when necessary for an immune response. Why are the M cells unique in this function? What makes them so special? The properties of M cells make them better for antigen sampling such as having shorter villi and less mucus on their surface. That way, they can better contact the antigens in the lumen. On the other side of the cells, which contacts the lamina propria, they have a large pocket filled with immune cells for direct contact. Then, within the epithelial cell layer, we also have the cells that are most resemble other immune cells. Tuft cells are indispensable for parasitic infections and can expand their population rapidly when needed. And intraepithelial lymphocytes are hematopoietic cells that hide between epithelial cells and express CD8. Although their main goal is to maintain homeostasis, they can turn into effector cells or memory cells when needed. Wow, yeah, I gotta admit, whenever anyone has said epithelial cell in the past, I always have thought of a rectangle that acts more like a door. <laughs> yeah, epithelial cells are super diverse and really cool. They are more like a whole house than a door. <laughs> so what other types of immune cells are at the barriers and reside in places like the intestinal lamina propria? Some of my favorite cells, in, innate cells like dendritic cells and macrophages and adoptive cells such as T cells and B cells. And also some special types of cells like invariant T cells and innate lymphoid cells. The response in the barriers looks a lot like in other tissues. Antigen-presenting cells that are at the barrier regions will travel through, through the lymphatics to the lymph nodes where they will activate the T-cells and B-cells. The APCs from the barrier regions will cause the lymphocytes to express chemokine receptors and adhesion molecules that will guide them to the barrier tissue and help with entry. So the immune cells lining every inch of our intestines don't seem like they would be doing a whole lot until there's an infection or an epithelial cell is damaged, but I must be missing something, right? Um, actually, there is another huge component of barrier immunity that we need to talk about, the commensal microbiome. Oh, I forgot about the commensal microbiome. It's the collection of all the nice microbes and, and that bacteria and other microbes that stay within us and on us, like in the gut, in our lungs, on our skin, heck, even our eyeballs. Do you know how recently we found out about the commensal microbiome? No, please tell me. Well, at least in the intestinal immunity, it went very quickly from oblivious to obvious. 
pre-1980s, there was very little knowledge about gut immunity or even acknowledgement of its existence. This may have been because of uh, multiple factors, including lack of technology to isolate mucosal immune cells. However, just like a fetus getting covered by trillions of microbes as they turn into an adult, the recognition of intestinal immunity within the community grew exponentially as more and more findings supported human microbiome. Today, there are an overwhelming number of papers on how the microbiome plays an essential role in every part of our well-being. Wow, it's unimaginable how much the field has progressed in just four decades. It always it almost makes you wonder how much it will progress in the next four decades. Truly unimaginable. Ash, do you know how important it is to have this commensal microbes in and on our body? I feel like you're about to tell me what happens to the organism when you remove microbes, because that's what Jotun does every episode. <laughs> that is exactly where I'm going with this. <laughs> Mice that have had their microbiota obliterated and then housed in sterile conditions are called germ-free mice. These mice have several defects in immunity, metabolism, and even neurological function. Needless to say, germ-free mice are not normal and not as healthy as other mice with their microbiome intact. This tells us that we as organisms need our commensal microbiome intact to properly function. It's crazy that we have all been raised to think of germs as something terrible and unwanted and now we know that our survival depends on some of them. But what I would like to know is, how does the microbiome affect our immune system? That's a wonderful question uh, with a long, wonderful answer. For now, we just need to understand that on the surface of skin and mucosal tissues, there's an equilibrium maintained between the immune cells and the commensal microbes that thrive there. This equilibrium is referred to as homeostasis, and is maintained by several factors that promote tolerance and inhibit inflammation in normal contexts. So promoting tolerance and inhibiting inflammation is how we keep the good microbes close to us instead of eliminating them? Yeah, that's correct. However, maintaining tolerance still involves activity from the immune cells. It's not a passive process. For this reason, we call homeostasis physiological inflammation. This is a normal thing and not indicative of a pathogenic invasion. Wait, the enterocytes express pattern recognition receptors all the time, right? If we have commensal bacteria around all the time, won't this create false alarms whenever the enterocytes meet a commensal microbe? Actually, they have mechanisms to prevent this. Uh, for example, like unlike other cells which express TLR4 on their surface, enterocytes express TLR4 internally so that the alarm is only created when a pathogen breaks in through their membrane. Isn't that freaking neat? Yeah, it is. Well, I think that it is time to wrap up for today so that we can go on a deeper dive next episode. Thank you so much for co-hosting with me. 
you I it's so nice to hear from an expert oh you're welcome (laughs) so let me summarize this so that I make sure I get it right so today we talked about barrier immunity and how it protects us from pathogens in an external in the external environment these the barriers we focused on were the skin and the intestinal mucosa tissue but other barriers have immunity as well Epithelial cells at barriers are considered innate immune cells, and they're held together by tight junctions. They protect against pathogens through the release of mucus with their cilia, through the release of AMPs, and expression of pattern recognition receptors. In the intestine, other immune cells reside in the lamina propria and are ready to react when they receive a signal from the epithelial cells. Finally, we talked about our commensal microbiome in our eyeballs and the rest of our body. The balance between our microbiome and our immune system at the barriers, which is also called physiological inflammation, it's important for our overall health as an organism. And I, th- I think that's what we covered today. Yes, it is. Awesome. It's been, well, it's been a great discussion. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Thank you so much to my co-host and fellow antibody for this wonderful discussion. And thank you to our listeners for your continued support. If you're interested to know more about our science communication endeavors, please visit antibodies.org. There you can find our blogs, journal clubs, and podcasts and share them with your antibodies. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can email us at antibodies1 at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Ash Gardner, reminding you that bacteria in your body is not always a bad thing. Cheers!